Welcome to New Church with Corey Turner. We pray you encounter God and become more like Jesus through this message. To find out more, visit us at numa.church. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. And it says this. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. I want to preach to you today on the subject, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Albert Einstein was once asked what was left for original dissertation research. And he responded, study prayer because we have not discovered the full potential of prayer yet. You know, the earth's greatest untapped resource is what is known as geothermal energy. It's a renewable energy that is derived from the earth's core. Well, I wanna suggest to you today that heaven's greatest untapped resource is prayer. It's a renewable energy that is derived from the fire of the Holy Spirit. And in John's Gospel, we read where Jesus said six times, you ask and I'll do. Fast forward to the book of James and we read in James chapter four, verse two, you do not have because you do not ask. So important you and I understand that 100% of the prayers that you don't pray won't get answered. And that may seem like ABC to many of us in kindergarten when it comes to our faith, but the reality is if we don't pray, God won't move. It's not because He can't, it's because He's limited His intervention to our intercession. God is almighty, He is all powerful, He is all sovereign, but He has chosen to co-labour with you and I. He has chosen to partner with His creation. God's eyes are running to and fro across the earth, looking to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are totally and completely His. And part of the way that we demonstrate our covenant loyalty and commitment is through the context of relational intimacy, particularly as it applies to prayer. Why do we pray? We pray for many reasons, but we pray because life is precarious. Our English word prayer comes from the Latin word precarious. And all of us face moments in our life where prayer is just instinctively off the top of the surface of our hearts, lifted up in response to the challenge, the situation and the circumstance that we are facing in our lives. Abraham Lincoln, the former American president, said this, I've been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction I had nowhere else to go but God. Rock star Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters, he says, I'm not a religious person, but I prayed like a madman when I found out that my friend was in a coma. 
You know, you and I find a prayer life when everything goes pear-shaped. When there are problems, when there are circumstances, when there are challenges, when there are things that don't go our way, all of a sudden we become prayerful. Non-religious people become really religious when they face a problem or a circumstance in their life. Is prayer a panic button to you or is it the supply line to your everyday life? We're going to make sure that we don't go to prayer simply during consecration season of prayer and fasting. That we don't go to prayer when we need a new job, when we need more money, when we need healing in our bodies. But prayer's got to become our lifestyle. It's the air we breathe. It's the inhale and exhale of everyday life. When life is hanging in the balance, however, we pray. I remember when my sister was on a life support system many, many years ago, we as a family interceded for two, three hours in a a closed room at the hospital and we saw God and we prayed and we saw a significant breakthrough within hours in her body. All of her vital signs came back to normal. She was off life support. She was conscious within days, was out of hospital. There is testimony after testimony in this church of the power of the prayers of faith to change people's lives. When we encounter the wonder of creation, we pray. I remember standing on the peak of a snow-covered mountain and we were there as a family for a few days just celebrating some time together. And as I'm there on the top of the mountain and looking at the awesomeness and enormity of what I was seeing, you can't help but offer up a prayer of just glory and wonder and thanksgiving and gratitude to a faithful God. When we're at a loss at which direction to take, we pray. I remember, like many of us, have encountered that, those moments of a state of confusion where you don't know what to do. You don't know what the answer is. You don't know which direction to take. It's in those moments that we pray. When we are overcome with gratitude at God's favour in our lives, what else can we do but offer up a prayer of thanksgiving? I will enter into your gates with thanksgiving. I will enter into your courts with praise. He's not just talking about what we do when we come into the house of God. It's a daily reality. You've got to enter the gates of thanksgiving every single day. If you'll begin the day in thanksgiving, if you'll end the day in thanksgiving of God's goodness in the midst of the challenges and problems that you face, I'm telling you, you will live a contented life. Godliness with contentment is great gain. How do you live godliness with contentment? How do you live a great gain life? You live it from a posture of the prayer of thanksgiving. You know, I remember being laid out on Super Bowl Sunday on this platform for several hours. And even though I was caught up in a heavenly encounter, there was, there was this awareness, God, thank You for pouring Your Spirit out upon my life. Thank You for pouring Your Spirit out upon our church. I've been so thankful and grateful these last eight, nine months of what God has done amongst us. When we open a new church and we see people surrender their lives to Christ, God, thank Thank you for your faithfulness to your word in our life. You see, to the degree we recognise our total dependence on God will be the degree to which we pray. 
People who are self-dependent, people who are full of pride and self-confident don't see prayer as a viable lifestyle choice because they've got it all figured out. And yet the Son of God Himself in John 5.19 said, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. How many of us know if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for you and I. Why do we pray? We pray because to be human is to pray. You know that statistically one out of four people pray the Lord's Prayer every year on Easter Sunday alone. One out of six people bows in prayer towards Mecca up to five times a day. We were at a shopping centre just yesterday as a family having some time together. And as we walked by a section of the shopping centre, not even a prayer room, here were two men of the Islamic faith bowing down at the time of prayer towards Mecca in front of everyone. They didn't care what anyone else was doing. There wasn't a prayer place set up for them. And I respected the fact that they were committed to their faith enough that in a public place, they would bow down and pray. I thought, when was the last time you saw Christians just stop in a prayer, in a shopping mall and just begin to pray? I mean, I know we do it, but we should do it more. Many of us don't realise we have School of the Spirit students. We have many people in the life of our church that every week are out on the streets praying with people and, and connecting with people at that point of need, unashamed of their faith in God. You see, it's of essential importance that we highlight that there is this chorus of human longing within every heart for the divine and the eternal. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has put eternity in the heart of man. God has designed you for eternity. There's a reason why you feel like a stranger and an alien in this world. It's because this isn't your ultimate home. You were designed for a heavenly earth and a heavenly home. And this planet is gonna become a new heaven and a new earth at the return of Jesus and the consummation of the kingdom of God. But God has designed you for it. He's designed this eternal longing in you for the presence of God. And so it's so important we don't believe the hype that the world is becoming increasingly secular. You know, in UK alone, one of the most secularised nations on earth, a quarter of British people pray almost every day. They're becoming more non-religious, but they're becoming more spiritual. Here in Australia, coming out of COVID, there's been a resurgence of spirituality, openness to the gospel, openness to God conversations, openness to prayer, more families, more marriages, more people are praying than ever before. They're not necessarily attending our churches because they equate church with religion and boredom and they've got a skewed, distorted view of the reality of who God is. Oh God, I'm praying in this consecration season that not only would the church of Jesus Christ begin to connect to the medium of prayer, but that we would be a representation of the holiness and goodness and nature of who God is in the world that they may see and taste and see that God is good. You see, from presidents to poets to rock stars to primitive cave paintings, there is a universal impulse inside of every single one of us to connect with the divine, to pray. 
Prayer is the soul's native language, pulsating through human anthropology, sociology and psychology. And psychologist David Brenner says this, prayer is the soul's attentive openness to the divine. We pray because life is precarious. We pray because it's what it means to be human. And we pray because all of us have been designed for intimacy with God, relationship with God. You know, of all the things that the disciples could have asked Jesus to teach them, they could have asked Jesus, can you teach us how to heal the sick? And I'm sure that it would have been daily experiences and expressions of being able to minister to the sick. Lord, could you teach us how to, lead your church. And for three and a half years, they would have been in the school of the Spirit with Jesus, learning what it means to be a, an apostle, an overseer of God's people and a leader in the house. There are lots of things, how to evangelise, how to take up an offering, how to, how to you know, be a student of the Word. All of those things they would have been taught. But the number one thing they asked Jesus to teach them to do was, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, how many of us know it doesn't get any better than Jesus? Jesus is perfect theology. And so if the Son of God had to pray as a regular part of His lifestyle, how many of us think we should sit down and take notes at the feet of Jesus? It's just, just basic logic, basic humility and wisdom says, Jesus, I reckon you've got something to teach me on what it means to be a person of prayer. Before launching into public ministry. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness, praying, fasting, preparing for three and a half years of ministry. It's interesting, most Bible colleges will prepare you three and a half years for 40 years of ministry. And Jesus spent 40 days in the womb of prayer, conquering Satan, preparing himself for only three and a half years of ministry. I reckon we ought to say before you can start your ministry, you need to go and pray and fast 40 days. That'd separate the men from the boys and the women from the girls, wouldn't it? Talk to a friend who did three years of Bible college and not one class or unit was devoted to prayer, intimacy with God. We have a value in this church that prayer fuels power. And it would be remiss of us to go into a consecration season simply only talking about the concept of consecration but not equally placing emphasis on weight on the practical ways that you and I actually participate in consecration. Consecration isn't just a cognitive or spiritual exercise of the heart. It has practical application to your daily life. Think about Jesus before choosing the 12 disciples. He spent all night in prayer. After feeding 5,000 people, he went up on the mountain and he prayed. When the shadow of the cross was looming over Jesus in Gethsemane. The Bible says he prayed so intensely that his sweat was like drops of blood. Jesus prayed and he prayed and he prayed some more. And apparently it had such an effect on the disciples 
that not only before the day of Pentecost, they obeyed his directive, went into the upper room and prayed and consecrated themselves for 10 days. But everything in the early church in the book of Acts was centered around this activity of prayer. In fact, the Bible says in Acts 2, 42, 47, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. There was just four key focuses in the early church and prayer was one of them. Often the modern church offers up such a buffet of activities to keep consumers interested that we have not been faithful and true to the original pattern. If you want biblical results, you've got to follow biblical patterns. And that's why we pray morning, noon and night. That's why we pray at the beginning of a service, middle of a service and end of a service. That's why prayer is the supply line, 24-7 prayer. It's the air we breathe. One day we will redevelop this location and put a prayer chapel on the roof of this building. Why? Because we are called more than anything else to be a house of prayer for all nations, to be people who pray. After Jesus' resurrection, The early church devoted themselves to prayer. What was Peter doing when he received the vision on the rooftop in Joppa? He was praying. What was Paul's response after the Damascus Road heavenly encounter? He was praying. What did the disciples do when the momentum of church growth stopped in Acts 6? They reprioritised prayer at the centre of the church. No wonder then that George Buttrick says, prayer is the contagion of health and the pulse of life. You see, being in relationship with God means we walk and we talk with Him daily, just like Adam and Eve did in the cool of the day in the garden. Do you realise God wants to speak to you more than you want to hear from Him? God wants intimacy. God delights in your presence more than you delight in His presence. He wants a relationship. Prayer isn't just you uttering up desperate, panic button prayers. God, we're in survival mode. Prayer is daily communication. It's daily communion where you speak and He speaks, you listen and He listens. God wants friendship with you. And learning to pray is the least weird, most natural, necessary and wonderful thing you can possibly do. Why? Because to be human is to pray. It's hardwired into you. And and if you've ever struggled to pray, tonight in the 4pm service, I'm gonna preach on the best advice on prayer you'll ever receive. I'm gonna deal with the issues of why we struggle to pray and I'm gonna show you the best advice. I'm not gonna let it out. Don't let it out, Pastor Corey. (laughs) Just withhold, all right? How many know? There's more, okay? So how did Jesus teach us to pray in this passage of Scripture? Well, the first thing I wanna encourage you to do is identify your place of prayer. Are we awake today? Verse one says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. Apparently, Jesus had preferred places to pray. And whilst we can pray everywhere, Jesus advised in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter six, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. See, prayer and fasting is the private discipline that brings public reward. So on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit filled the place before He filled the people. 
When you get saved, born of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit fills you. But there is an awareness, there's a consciousness that when we gather together in corporate worship, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. How many of us know during this worship service today, we've become conscious and aware that the presence of God is filling the place where we are. It's not just filling us, it's filling the place. The place you pray matters. Do you have a time? Do you have a place that you meet with God every day? You know, the ancient Celtic believers understood the Holy Spirit can saturate places. And so they termed and coined this term, thin places. Places where it's not difficult to connect to the presence of God. Every single one of us needs our thin place. It could be a chair in a house. It could be a bench in a park. It could be walking with your dog. It could be an upper room prayer meeting. It could be a daily commute. It could be your prayer closet. But whatever it is, you've got to identify what is my thin place. What is the time? What is the place that I'm going to meet with God? You see, I put 99% of my spiritual growth down to just plain old simply showing up to my prayer place and my prayer chair every single day. I invested in that thing. It's a good chair. It's the sort of chair you look at and go, I want to sit in that. And when I'm there in the presence of God, just because I've shown up, I expect God's going to speak to me. I know God can speak anywhere. He's speaking to me right now as I'm ministering this Word. He's speaking to you beyond even what I'm articulating right now. God's speaking all the time. But I know when I show up to that place, that it's just me and Him. Where you switch off the distractions. You switch off all the mechanisms in your life that you've come to rely upon and distract yourself with. And you become totally immersed and mindful of the presence of God. Don't underestimate the power of just showing up to the place of prayer. This is why worship gatherings are so important. I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let's not forsake assembling and gathering together. That's one of the reasons why coming out of COVID, we switched off online because now we can come back together. There's nothing like coming back together into the house of God. If you wanna learn how to pray, come to the prayer meeting. I would encourage you this Wednesday night, let's fill this place at prayer power at 7 p.m., Let's launch into consecration prayer and fasting season. The prayer and fasting kicks in on Thursday for 10 days leading up to the day of Pentecost on May 28th. Let's come together and celebrate and begin in corporate prayer. The best way to learn how to pray is to be in the same room with someone who knows how to pray. If you wanna be a successful business person, you gotta hang out with successful business people. If you want to be a better athlete, you hang out with better athletes. You want to be a better mum and dad, get mentored by a good mum or dad. It's not rocket science. If we would actually learn and take on the posture of a student and a humble disciple when it comes to prayer, we will become more effective in prayer. And I've seen it. I've seen people come into this house months and years ago, nominal believers, not fervent or strong in their faith. And I just see every week they're growing in God. They're growing in prayer. They're growing in the Word of God. They can quote Scripture. They're a fire-breathing believer. They're the Spirit of God 
lives inside of them. There's a contagion about them in the things of the Spirit. They're a magnet for the lost and the broken and the hurting. Something is moving and shifting in their life. Why? Because they got under the spout where the glory comes out. They got around people who are actually further ahead than them. And they got into the drafting effect, the slipstream effect of the Spirit at work in that person's life. And things began to change. They began to go through a metamorphosis, a transformation of sorts. Why? Because they got around where the Spirit of God was moving in other people's lives. If you struggle to pray, you're not to be condemned, but you're to know that you're hardwired to pray and you just maybe need some help. You maybe need some discipleship. And so when you get around a prayer meeting, 24-7 prayer, and you put yourself in a place of accountability, you discover and learn how to pray. I asked Dr. Alan Meyer several weeks ago, who was like a spiritual father to me. I said, hey, why don't you come over to my house for an hour, midweek, every week, and let's just pray together. Now, I pray every morning, but you know what? That just promoted another level of accountability in my life. I know He's going to show up on that door. He's so faithful every week. Show up and for the next hour, we're caught in the majesty of God's presence and we're just seeking God and we're praying and we're bringing things before the throne and I'm learning about the majesty and the sovereignty of God through His prayers and He's learning about my view of God and how I relate to God through my prayers and as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. There's this sharpening. I'm praying for some of you to actually call another believer and say, hey, we need to pray an hour a week. We need to sign up to 24-7 prayer. We need to be a part of upper room prayer. We need to make prayer a part of our lifestyle. I love what it says in Acts 16, 13, that Paul and Silas went outside the gate to the riverside where there was a place of prayer. Apparently they knew there's a place of prayer down by the riverside. Let me tell you, there's a river flowing through this house. There's a river. You've got to get in it. You've got to get beside it. And you've got to come to the place of prayer because the place of prayer is a place of power. The womb of prayer is that place of breakthrough in your life. If there is anything that I could put any grace or fruitfulness of God's goodness in my life down to, it would be a devotion and a commitment to a lifestyle of prayer. That was a weak clap, but anyway, I'll take it. I'll, I'll take it. You're preaching good, son. Keep going. Oh, encourage myself in the Lord. Oh, so much. I'm, I'm starting to get edgy here. I'm starting to feel something come on me. Um, it'll just build by today. Get Come to the 4 p.m. I'm telling you now. Um, a corporate executive had no time for prayer. Lots of people say, I haven't got any time for it. You haven't got... Time not to pray. I got no time to pray until they got a doctor's diagnosis. Or now we got time for prayer. Don't wait till a doctor's diagnosis and the bank account goes south for you to get a prayer life. Don't wait till the marriage is on the rocks before you get a prayer life. Lots of people... They're sort of high flyers. They look the real deal. They got the car, got the house, got the outfit. They got the job. They look the real deal until they hit a crisis. Now the whole world falls apart. And now they come searching. And 
sometimes God in His grace doesn't send crises, but allows it to actually draw us to Himself. And so this corporate executive had no time for prayer, got a doctor's diagnosis, found a prayer life, bought a rocking chair, brought it into his lounge room and get in that rocking chair every day and pray and seek God. For a season, he saw the miraculous. Eventually, the disease took his body. He wasn't angry at God because his heart had changed through the process of prayer. And he left a legacy for his children, his grandchildren, as that rocking chair was passed on from one generation to the next. They'd go sit in that rocking chair and they would pray like their grandfather. I'm telling you, mums and dads, on this Mother's Day, your prayer life is a legacy of faith that you're passing on to your children and your children's children. What legacy are you passing on? You see, I'm so grateful that my parents passed on to me the greatest treasure there is in all the planet. It was the heritage of faith. They taught me to pray. They taught me to study the Bible. They taught me to, to, to prize and to treasure and to steward the house of God. They taught me a lifestyle of sacrifice and generosity and devotion. Oh, I'm the richest man in the world because I had the heritage of faith, the treasure chest of faith passed on to me. There was no no legacy of financial blessing or education or property that could compare to having heavenly investments in the kingdom of heaven. Nothing. God can give you money like that overnight. Some of you are spending your lives, this is the spirit of prophecy speaking to someone in this room right now. Some of you are giving everything for one more dollar and you are more poor and penniless in the spirit than you've ever been. And you'll stand before Jesus on that day and realise I wasted my life for that which means nothing and has no eternal value. What did Jesus say? Do not lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, but lay up treasures in heaven. Every time you get on your knees, every time you pray, every time you make decisions to live a holy life and consecrate, you're investing treasure in heaven. God is not against you being blessed financially. He's not against you stewarding what you have, but don't make that your focus in life, your God, your idol and what you are devoted to, but pass something on to the next generation beyond a house, a car and a good super fund. Please don't tell me that as a follower of Jesus, that's all you're living your life for. Seriously, I love you too much to let you be so foolish. Life is short, eternity is a long time. This is a blip on a screen. One moment you're here and then you're gone. Life is fleeting. We are a vapour. And what will only count is what you invest into eternity. See, I got that revelation early. I understood that. Every day, my my wife and kids know this, My favourite word is move. The staff know this too, right? Move, let's get moving. (laughs) Hurry up, move. And part of it's my wiring and and, because I'm I'm moving, there's action. My life is an action movie, right? Do you know, to be honest, 99.9% of the reason why that is, is because I live each day with a view of eternity. And I realise time is running out. The ticking of the clock 
and the turning of the calendar. And every second, hundreds and thousands of lost people die and go to hell. But when you go into the womb of prayer, when you go into that place of prayer, something changes. You touch the divine. You connect with the Spirit of God. I love what Martin Luther said. He said, I've got so much to do today, I've got to spend another hour in prayer. Because time in prayer actually compounds spiritual interest into every other area of your life. It's the same principle with the tithe. The rest of the 90% of your income is not blessed if you don't honour God with the first fruits of the tithe. So as you honour God with the tithe and you bring that, blessing comes on the rest. And many of us, you may earn a lot of money, but it's not blessed if you don't honour God with the first 10%. It's not legalism, it's called covenant. I'm telling you, the Spirit of God is having fun here today. Because He's coming to your address and He's pushing buttons because He loves you. He's got more for you. And some of us are clenching and holding back in our spirits, our time, relationships, our service in the church, our our finances. And we don't realise we're actually not just robbing God, we're robbing ourselves. It's Stop it. Best advice in this sermon, stop it. It's silly. It's not wisdom. After you identify a place of prayer, what do you do? You hit the pause button. So constant movement, as much as my favourite word is move, constant movement's not good. And just know you eventually burn out. And so I've had to learn, like every one of us had to learn, is you've got to stop before you start. So every day when I go to that place of prayer, Jesus said, when you pray, how many of us know he didn't say if you pray? So he implied prayer is a lifestyle. So every day when you go to your place of prayer, whatever that is, Stop before you start. Hit the pause button. Because the first step to a deeper prayer life is put down the shopping list and become fully present in place and time. Turn your mindfulness into Godfulness. That's not even a word. I'm just making up English words, okay? Do you know Eastern meditation is all about emptying your mind? Biblical meditation is about filling your mind with God. What does Psalm 46.10 says? It says, be still and know that I am God. Stillness precedes knowing. Rushing blocks revelation. And people go, How do you know that stuff about God's Word or about God? Well, because we stop, we pause, we be still and we know that He is God. So if you want to know God more intimately this consecration season, you've actually got to say no to some things so you can say yes to some things. 
Stillness and silence is not the antithesis or the opposite to being a spirit-filled Pentecostal believer. It's part and parcel of preparing your mind and heart to engage with the divine presence of God from a place of peace and faith. So rather than rushing straight into the worship song, speaking in tongues, just become Godful in your mind. Become present. Turn everything off and just wait upon Him for a few moments. After you hit the pause button, then start to rejoice in God's goodness. In verse two of the Lord's Prayer, it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What is this? It's an invitation to adoration. To adore Him. To worship Him. As you begin to praise and rejoice in Him, you get perspective on your life problems and situations. No one looks at the majesty of waves crashing on the coastal line and thinks to themselves, gee, I'm awesome. No one does that. You see the waves crashing in, you're on a coastal line, you've got this panoramic view, you're like, God, you're awesome. You're so powerful. You're majestic. You rejoice in the goodness of God. You see, the most natural response to the presence of God is to hallow His name. That means that His name is distinct, set apart. It's to be reverenced, adored and honoured. And so I want to encourage you, when you're in that place of prayer, don't rush your praise. This is why we pray, praise and worship for the length of time that we do in a service. That's why we've extended our services because, you know, we spend all week in the spirit of the world, hopefully not, but we live in, and work in secular environments, all sorts of pressures and influences. And then we expect with a two-song sandwich for people to have a God encounter. Are you for real? It's funny, people who will spend hours watching Netflix will struggle with 10 minutes of prayer. Oh, I'm preaching truth today. I, I, I am. I really am. People who devote hours to coaching their sports teams can't give one service serving in the house of God. Let us not be guilty of building our homes when the house of God may lie in ruins. You know, before we start to ask God for handouts from His hand, we've got to look at His face and we've got to worship Him. What do you do after you rejoice in God's goodness? Lord, teach us to pray. What do we do, God? Ask God for help. Help is the simplest little word, but yet it's so powerful. Have you ever been in a situation where the only thing you could pray was help? It's like, some of us like every day. What's this in verse two and three? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. It's asking God for help. You know, for the first 200 years of church life, in the first century, the Lord's Prayer wasn't used in any liturgy. No one was quoting it. No one was praying it out loud. It was a lesson on asking God, our Heavenly Father, for help. It was petitioning. 
The Lord's Prayer is actually the disciples' prayer because Jesus doesn't need forgiveness of sin. So it's our prayer. It's your prayer. And it's a model for us to follow. And it's all about essentially asking God for help. And often even in Jesus' life, it was often a crisis that prompted Jesus' petitions more than anything else. Prayer has got to become our first response, not our last resort. A lot of people live their lives and then after the fact pray. Now, I live my life, I've learned it's not perfect, but I've lived my life in a constant walking dependence on the Holy Spirit. God, what are you saying now? What are you doing now? What do you want me to do about this? What do you want me to say about that? I'm constantly, you can become a walking intercession. Where everywhere you go, on the bus, public transport, particularly we all, we all need to get a prayer life in peak hour traffic. <laughs> when you're walking into a job interview, when you're walking into an important meeting, just pit stop prayer. Holy Spirit, help me. Give me wisdom. Give me grace. Give me understanding. What do you do after you ask God for help? You yield to God's presence. Yielding to God's presence is saying yes to His presence and His will over your will. In verse 4, it says, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What is this about? It's about submission and surrender. You know, I shared in the first service, Catherine Coleman, great healing evangelist of the 20th century. Many mighty miracles, millions of people helped her all around the world. I had a pastor friend who was there at her last, one of her final meetings in Los Angeles, the Angelus Temple. And he went up to one of the team and he asked, what is Catherine Coleman's secret? Is it a prayer life? Is it a Bible study life? He responded, no, she does the same as anybody else. He said the secret to Catherine Coleman's ministry is her ability to totally yield to the Holy Spirit. Yieldedness. Every now and then, history books record what God will do through someone's life who is totally yielded to God. And your yieldedness will often determine your fruitfulness. And one of the best demonstrations of yieldedness is your lifestyle of intimacy and intercession to God. We yield to God's presence through opening our clenched fist and laying down our will and picking up His will. We yield to God's holiness through keeping a short account of sin and repenting quickly. We yield to God's power by not Wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness. I want to encourage you in this consecration season, identify your place of prayer. When you go into that place, hit the pause button and become completely mindful of the presence of God. Begin to rejoice and praise and worship. Begin to ask Him for help. And yield yourself to whatever it is that God asked you to do. Do you know, 2,000 years ago, the disciples asked our Lord, teach us to pray. And we today are in this room because we're still feeling the effects of their prayers. Do you realize our church that was birthed in 1916 in a prayer meeting 
a prayer meeting that went for nine years, we wouldn't be here today without the prayers of C.L. Greenwood. I often think about who's going to be here if Jesus doesn't return, who's going to be here in 50 years or another 100 years based upon the prayer commitment of our generation. It's sobering, isn't it? What, what are we going to pass on to the next generation if we don't honour God with our giving, our praying and our fasting? You see, I've decided I'm not living for myself. I'm living not just for even for my kids. I'm living for coming generations. I'm stewarding what God has given me now for coming generations. And everything we have, every opportunity to pray, every moment we have to give our all to God, we're storing up heavenly treasure for the coming generations. And I, someone's alarm just went off and said, Pastor Corey's preached long enough. I'll be done in a moment. But it's interesting, God's doing something different in this service that he did at the 9 a.m. It's like the, the, the surgeon's knife's going a little bit deeper. You know why? Because prayer is the soul's native language and yet we often struggle to do it. And in our culture, in our society, the primary reason is, is because we're too busy and we're too self-dependent. And the Lord is coming to us and saying, you know what? Follow my example. If the creator of the heavens and the earth, the son of God, had to depend upon his father to live his life and carry out his ministry, how much more you and I? Thank you for listening to Numa Church with Corey Turner. Please visit our website, numa.church, and follow us on our social media platforms.